0: Now, there are lots of things going on in these verses, and uh, they're quite difficult to read, aren't they? So, um, well done, Moss, for persevering. Um, so, I'm going to suggest something radical for us this evening. I, actually, actually it's probably not that radical, but I said that to get your attention. Okay, so, suggest something radical this evening, and, which is that we just try and define three words. Okay, that's all I'm going to try and do this evening, is define three words, and then we're going to come and read the passage again, and hopefully that will unlock the passage for us so we're just going to look at three words together this evening and those words are abide fruit and love and given that there's a good chance that you might know what all three of those words mean already I feel like I'm falling on an open door so um, hopefully that will help us together this evening. I do have uh, 18 pages of notes though uh, here on my iPad so we are going to work through them Let's, uh, let's start with that word abide first then. It's clearly a significant word in the passage. Um, I counted 11 abides in the passage. Maybe you want to check that because that might not be uh, dead right. It comes first in verse 4 when Jesus tells his disciples that they are to abide in him as he abides in them. The picture is of a vine, isn't it? It's introduced in verse 1, Jesus saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. The point is probably... Uh, easily lost on us but Jesus is probably walking through the temple courts with his disciples as he says this and there's a great uh, golden vine over the entrance and he's speaking to his disciples who are used to thinking in vine-like categories for the people of God. So Jesus is saying something like this, belonging to me, abiding in me, belonging to me is belonging to God's people. God's people are Jesus's people. Belonging to God is belonging to Jesus. Those who belong to him, to Jesus are like branches on God's great vine. And his, apo- his point is, with all the abide language, is that to remain his people means to remain with him. So to wind back a step, verse 3 says that we join the vine by listening to the word that Jesus speaks. And then having joined, or being made clean as he puts it, uh, we are pruned as a branch that needs to abide or stick with Jesus. But that's the, that's the word. What does it actually mean to abide in Jesus? Well, I think the passage is probably best understood as being in two halves. So verses 1 to 8 are the first half, and 9 to 16, or perhaps 17, are the second half. In, in verses 1 to 8, you've got all the language of, of vines, and in the second half, you've got the language of love. But really, they are saying very similar things. And in some ways, verses 9 to 16 are a commentary on verses 1 to 8. So verse 10 explains what abide means. It says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So there you go, abiding in the vine, abiding in love means obedience, obeying. Not because Jesus is saying to become a Christian, you have to do good works to earn a place in the vine. Jesus has been pretty clear on that. Rather, the point is that branches belong to the vine. People that belong to Jesus show that they belong to him, that they remain his by listening to what he says and obeying it. That's really what verse 7 means as well when it says too that abiding in Jesus is effectively having his words abiding in us. We listen to him, uh, what he says rules our lives. Now this abiding is really serious. If you think about the picture for a moment, a branch that does not abide in the vine or in any kind of tree, just doesn't last, does it? It won't bear any fruit. According to verse 2, it gets taken away. According to verse 6, it gets burned in the fire. Now, I'm going to show you the, the extent of my knowledge of how plants work. Vanessa did uh, biotechnology and plant science as a degree, so I fear that she'll correct me later when we get home. But right, imagine, I, I don't, do trees have veins? Do they? Do they? What do you call them? The leaves, of, leaves, of veins. leaves are veins. Leaves have veins. Well, okay, I'm not talking about the leaves. I'm talking about like the kind of sticks, the, the roots and branches. I told you that you were at the very limits of my knowledge. Okay, so imagine that through the veins of a tree, running up through the kind of uh, stalks and branches, is, is moisture, yeah, that, that gets into the fruit and makes it grow. Is that how it works? Something like that. Xylem, thanks, Jeremy. GCSE biology, I did it, but I can't remember any of it. Um, Anyway, so through the xylem is coming the moisture, which makes its way into the fruit, and the fruit grow. The kind of the moisture pulsates, doesn't it, from the roots through into the fruit. Now, okay, some of that was right, but that's the image here, right? It's It's the word of Christ pulsating through the vine of His people producing fruit in his people it's as we are in him rooted in him that the word of christ comes from god through the lord jesus by the spirit into us growing us pulsating through us his people originating in god coming through christ by his spirit bringing life so to live as a christian as opposed to withering away as a christian and dying as a christian Living as a Christian is to abide in that pulsating word of Christ vine, listening to and obeying the word of Christ. So what does abide mean in kind of practice for you and I this evening? I I know some of you are planning to go off to university in the summer to leave home. There's just a small hurdle of some exams to face before then. Uh, But this is the thing for you guys. If you want to live as a Christian, then when you leave home, it means that you need to keep listening to and obeying the word of Christ, which at very least means finding a church that will teach you the Bible and help you to do that. Now, your branch might be leaving the home vine, but it should not be leaving the true vine if you're a Christian. Now, for those of us who are not planning to go to university this summer, that remains true for us as well. Abiding is our key task as Christians, staying plugged into the word of Christ So that the life of Christ might flow through us and do its work in us. Which means, doesn't it, if you're a Christian this evening and your Christian life just feels a little bit withered and a little bit frail. And we all feel that, don't we, at some point or another. Then perhaps you should give some more thought to this abiding. What does it mean for you to abide in Christ's word, obeying it, as the life of Christ pulsates through you, bringing uh, fruitfulness into your life? Okay, so that is abiding. Abiding means listening to Jesus and obeying Jesus. Second word, fruit. I haven't even tried to count the word fruit in the passage, so maybe uh, someone else can do that for us, but it does come several times, which is a theological and mathematical term for more than once. Okay, so fruit is in there a lot, right? Verse 2 talks about branches that do not bear fruit. talks about fruitfulness being stimulated by pruning. I think is uh, the Lord's discipline of his people. Verse 4 reminds you that the vine branches that are disconnected from the roots will not bear fruit so that Christians disconnected from Jesus don't bear fruit either, a point which is repeated in verse 5. Verse 8 tells us that this fruit borne by the disciples is both proof of their disciple status but also in itself is glorifying to God. The fruit of the vine makes God look amazing. This is the the glory of the gardener is in the glory of the The produce that's made. In the second half of the passage, fruit gets mentioned in verse 16, where Jesus tells the disciples that they are to bear fruit is the point of their choosing. He chose them to bear fruit, literally to to go and bear fruit. But here's the question for us this evening in this uh, three-word sermon. What is fruit? What is fruit? Well, it could mean Christian character, couldn't it? And there certainly seems to be that in mind, isn't it? Joy gets a mention in verse 11. It could also be obedience, which we've seen already uh, features heavily. Uh, We've seen that abiding equals obeying the word of Christ. But verse 16's emphasis on going and bearing fruit suggests that while all those other things are probably included, also included is new Christians. In other words, the fruitful vine is a growing vine course, that makes sense of the picture as well, doesn't it? The vine is not just meant to produce fruit for fruit's sake. The vine is to grow and spread through its fruit. So with the disciples here and the Christian church too, the disciples went on abiding in Jesus' word and fruitfully speaking that word to others, who then, in in the image of the passage, they, they abide in his word, they are rooted in his word, they are obeying his word, they are speaking his word to others. And as others hear the word, they join the vine by listening to the word of Jesus. And they too then become part of the vine, who then speak the word of Jesus to others, and it goes on and on and on. Now, the brilliant thing about this picture is it means that me telling other people about Jesus, or you telling your work colleagues about Jesus, or you telling your school friends about the Lord Jesus, is not so much a work that you do, but a fruit that spills out from what Christ is doing in you. Do you get that? If we are connected to Jesus, if we are listening to his word, if we are abiding in him, then it will spill out of us, this word of Christ to others. You could say, couldn't you, that we are so full of him that we are spilling it out to other people. You've all met Christians like that, haven't you? Who are just kind of overflowing with Jesus. They can't seem to help but talk about the Lord Jesus. You would have to talk to them for very long and they are telling you more about the Lord Jesus. Anyone who will listen will hear about Jesus from them. And that's it here. Fruit is obedient, godly character for sure, but it's also other people hearing about Christ and believing in him. Now that's challenging, I think, because it means that if our portion of the vine is not growing, what we need to ask is not what's wrong with the word, but what we need to ask is, are we really abiding in Christ? Are we listening to Jesus and obeying his word? Are we, end of verse seven and end of verse 16, asking that the Lord Jesus would bring this kind of growth through us? Now, I wonder here, I'm not making a particularly big announcement here or anything. I'm just floating an idea. I, our church has grown quite a lot recently, for which we're really grateful. Lots of people have joined our church from other churches, and we're really pleased that they're all here. You're very welcome. It's good to have you. But I think the danger is for all of us that church can feel like it's growing because people are transferring to join us. Without us ever really stopping to ask the question, is our part of the vine growing? Are people being added to the vine as we preach the word of Christ and as we share it. We must never be complacent, must we, that the Lord Jesus intends the church to be a fruitful vine in people hearing about the Lord Jesus and joining. So abiding means listening and obeying. Fruit is godly Christian character, yes, and kingdom growth. Third and final word, love, love. In the second half of the passage, say from verse nine to 16 or 17, Vine language gets swapped out for love language. So Jesus says in verse 9, which is the sort of mirror of verse 1, that as the Father has loved him, so he has loved us. And we are to abide in his love by keeping his commandments, just like Jesus has kept the commandments of the Father and has abided in his love. Verse 12, if you look down at that, spells it out in even, uh, even clearer terms. So let me read that to you again. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Point gets a final underlining in verse 17 with the command to love one another, repeat it. But again, we just need to slow down, don't we, and say, what actually is this love? What does this love mean? Well, love here is something that's possessed by the Father and the Son in all eternity. It's a love which God in Christ has for us and we're to have for one another. It's a love which involves laying aside its own life for the sake of others. You don't need me to tell do you, there's a really high bar for love in the passage. It's the love that Jesus has been talking about for a long time. Chapter 13, it's a, a love that's demonstrated in Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet, but she's further demonstrated by Jesus laying down his life on the cross. You know, Jesus in our passage is not only a sharer in the divine trinity's eternal love relationship, but he's also the perfect model of human love, isn't he? In a way, the Lord Jesus is not only the true God, he's also the only true man, isn't he? He truly loves and properly loves others. You see that link in verses 13 and 14 where Jesus says that the greatest display of love is to lay down your life for a friend. And you are my friend, says Jesus. It's a graduation, I think, that friend's language is a graduation from servants who are largely ignorant of the master's plans. But now, since Jesus is coming in the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant, the disciples are now. In the know, they're friends, and friends for whom Jesus will lay down His life that they might be saved. It's worth dwelling on this for a moment longer, isn't it? Think about how this works. Jesus's love, which He shared with the Father in eternity past and displays in His humanity, spills over into us. We're invited, aren't we, into this Trinitarian love life of God, Father, Son, and Spirit? And how so? Well, you know, don't you? Because Jesus has told us through His death on the cross in the place of sinners. Through his calling and choosing is the language of verse 16 isn't it we're invited to share in the benefits of the cross as Jesus' friends and then that love experienced by us through the lord jesus spills over into the lives of others as we show this self, same self-sacrificing love love which longs for the salvation of others that they might come to encounter this great life-giving savior who's given himself up on the cross it, I mean, just to underline what's really going on here, love is more than a feeling here, isn't it? And it's more than just any kind of action. Love here is self-giving action. It costs. It benefits the other for the sake of their relationship with Christ. It considers the eternal well-being of another worth more than personal comfort in the present. So it has the difficult conversation, doesn't it? It risks the awkwardness of being misunderstood as it stumbles over an explanation of the gospel in an RE lesson. Everyone's looking and everyone's listening. It considers the spread of the gospel worthy of financial sacrifice. Worthy of laying down a promising career. Worthy of moving a family for. Worth not only losing a bit of face but even laying down its life. And here's the thing. I think we don't love like that because we fear that it might make us miserable, don't we? Why would I lay down my life for the sake of the eternal well-being of another? That's going to make me deeply sad, isn't it? Why would I do that? That's going to mean I'm going to be trodden on by others. It's going to bring me grief and harm. Well, no. Why? Look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Ah, That's incredible, isn't it? Loving like this, loving like Jesus, brings the full joy of Jesus into our lives. It's pretty amazing. It's not that Jesus is a kind of chirpy-chappy all the time, is it, who never cried or never suffered. Quite the opposite. Jesus suffered lots in ways that we will never understand. But still he has a joy that never gave up and never gave way. His joy is a joy that lasts, that's rich and full and life-giving. And it's a joy that's ours too if we will love like Jesus. So we abide in him and bear fruit. So there you are. Abide means listen to Jesus and obey his words. Fruit means growth, not just in character, but kingdom growth. And love is a self-giving concern for other people, supremely seen in Jesus. Okay. Abide, fruit, love. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to read the passage to you again, and with those three definitions in mind, hopefully... It will become more clear what it means. Let me read it to you and then I'll close in prayer. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to ask that you might help us to abide in the Lord Jesus, to remain in him, that this great life-giving word might pulsate through us and bear fruit, not only in Christian character in us, but also in kingdom growth in your church. We pray that you might give us this self-giving concern for others ahead of our own comfort even, that love that we see in the Lord Jesus that we trust in and long for we pray that this might bring you great glory you the god of the vine the the gardener might be glorified by a fruitful vine we pray help us we ask in jesus name amen